BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, everybody. How you doing? It's Vinnie Martel from the Vanilla Fudge, lead guitarist, U.S. Navy veteran, and it's been a pleasure being on Mark Striegel's show. So keep rocking, everybody, and check out VanillaFudge.com. Please come down to the shows and say hello. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast. Thank you for listening, guys. As always, I just, I love talking with these rock and roll legends. And today, it is another one. And we got some great stories out of him. We are speaking with Vince Martell of the legendary band Vanilla Fudge, the band that took Led Zeppelin out on the road, the band that influenced Deep Purple. And again, Vince Martell, the guitar player, Vinny. Thank you for joining me, man. I love the, I love the stories. And of course, Carmine is a longtime friend of Talking Metal, and he is also in Vanilla Fudge. If you haven't seen some of the videos I've uh, done with Carmine, just go to my YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash talking metal. But today we are talking Vanilla Fudge with Vince Martell, the guitar player. So stay tuned for that interview. And before we get into the episode, let's thank everyone who supports us on Patreon. Nick Beach. Nick over in Australia. I, I hope you got your t-shirt, man. I mailed it out a while ago at this point, but I haven't heard from you, so I hope uh, I hope it arrived. If not, let me know. I'll mail another one out. Hopefully that one will get actually make it to you. Uh, who else? Miss Mrs. Metal Dan. Sam Warwick. Kato Yok- Yokova. Adrian Cusick, Dane Damage, Madison Hatter, Seth B., Alan Janssen, Hank Reeves, John Simpson, Huckney Jacobson, Ed Ferguson, Denny Striegel, Patrick Sabin, Jerry from Salt Lake City. Can you believe Jerry from Long Island? He left uh, Patreon. I can't believe it. I don't know. What did, what did I say, Jerry? What did I do to, to tick you off? Anything? I hope not. Uh, I do understand when people leave. Listen, you know, money doesn't grow on trees these days. I know that as well as anybody. Um, so a big th- let me just say this. Big thanks to Jerry from Long Island for supporting me so long on Patreon. And you know, you are always my brother, sir. Whenever you want, you got my number. Just text me. It doesn't matter if you're supporting me on Patreon or not, to be honest. I do appreciate all the love you've given Talking Metal through the years. Jerry from Long, a- Long Island, no longer on Patreon. Uh, but Jerry from Salt Lake City, still rocking it. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, Blue Walsh 21, Victor Guzman, Gene Eugene DX, Sean Richmond, Mario Charance, Andrew Miller, Jerry, or Jerry, got Jerry on the mind, Jeremy Weltman, Chris Riley, Johan Erdstrom, Stephen Rodriguez, Tommy Anderson, Gregory Muse, Kenny McCrimmon, Leo from Alaska, Brad Dahl from Yarg Metal, Dan Gerwan, of course, my uh, partner in crime on the Patreon-only podcast, Victor M. Ruiz, Sam Supi, Drake, Matt Carroll, Joe Ryan, Jason Seth, Stephen Saylor, Ron Keel, Jean-Francois Blah, 
Anthony Mackey, James Bennett, David Gray, Fred Rutz, Michael Street, Mike Jones, Steve Hoker, John Bovari, Metal Dan. Thank you, all you people. You guys rock. Let's get into the episode right now. All right, so we're going to get right into our interview with the one and only Vinny Martell from Vanilla Fudge, man. You know, I know everyone's like, Vanilla Fudge, they got to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I, I get it, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's such a, a klutzy thing, man. I, I, I just think it's almost cooler that they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They almost have more street cred in my book, but that's just me. Anyways, I'm not going to do much talking today. We're going to just listen to this great interview, man. And uh, I'll come back after the interview and check out with you guys. All right, here we go. Hey, it's Mark Striegel. And what an honor to be talking to a legendary rock and roller guitarist, Vincent Martella. How are you, man? Very good, Mark. Very good, thank you. You have such an incredible history, and we want to get right into it. Vanilla Fudge, a, a band that, that did so much, but when the average person thinks about Vanilla Fudge, they probably think about the cover that you guys made famous of the Supremes classic back in the 60s, and that uh, keep me hanging on, right? Yes, that's it, yes. And to kind of bring things full circle, a cool thing that, that just happened is the the band with the original members, including the late, great Tim Bogart, just released another Supreme song, and uh, it is just great, It and it's just so cool to have you four guys together one last time on this recording doing nonetheless you know a supreme song can you talk a little bit about how this cover of stop in the name of love came about yeah it came about because uh we were talking with the management and everything and they kind of felt that since we started out and got uh keep me hanging on by the supremes was our big song back when we first came out 67 so uh you know maybe we should look to get into that direction again. So Mark came up with the uh, idea of let's do that particular song. So we were up for, there was, you know, quite a few songs that we were thinking of doing. And we, in fact, we were even toying with the idea, which we might, we might follow through on of doing, um, a whole album of Supreme's songs. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Right. So in the meantime, we figured, all right, let's do that. So uh, that's what we did. We started working on it, and Timmy was still here with us. And we decided, let's really get Timmy on. If we can get Timmy on for one last song, he's such a fantastic bass player. And uh, thank the good Lord, we were able to get him on. And uh, he wasn't feeling good. He was uh, sick. Uh, He he was just under the weather. He was very... uh, in pain and whatever, but he managed to get himself to the studio. I think Carmine went out to California and they set up something at his studio. He came down in his pajamas and he, uh, you know, he, he he had a bass, a nice new four-string bass. We, we always liked the way he sounded on the four-string Fender. And uh, he put down this beautiful bass part. So once we had that, we had the drums, the bass, we had the skeleton of the tune, we had... Mark uh, uh, had uh, 
come out with some ideas for it. Uh, I had some ideas for that's it. We we put it together, and uh, I'm just so glad that we got Timmy before he passed. You know. Yeah, and it is just an amazing listen, guys. It's up everywhere on Spotify, Apple Music, and um, I think you can get it through through the website. Is there a vinyl version of it or a CD version of it too? I have no idea as at this point, but I hope that they do. I think that they probably will do something like that, but I don't know for sure yet what's what. Yeah, when you go back to the the original Supreme song that you guys did, Keep Me Hanging On, I mean, you know, I hear people talk about, oh, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, but there's a lot of other people, Mick Mars from Motley Crue being one of them, who said when he saw the Vanilla Fudge on Ed Sullivan, that that playing that song that that really changed his life and that he knew he wanted to be a rock star then i mean that was such a powerful performance what do you remember about going on the ed sullivan show and and playing this song to literally i mean back in those days millions and millions of people watched this show yeah right and who was the guy that that said all that Mick Mars of Motley Crue told me that that he remembered seeing the Vanilla Fudge on Ed Sullivan, and it it was such a a big musical moment for him as a kid. Wow, that's beautiful to hear that. Uh, I remember that uh, it was actually it was a three day affair. The first day you get down to the uh, to the theater, which was uh, which later became the Letterman Theater. Yeah, uh, Broadway. Yeah. Yes, uh, Broadway and Seventh Avenue, right around there. And uh, the first day you show up and you're in regular street clothes and whatever it is, and you run through, not necessarily playing the whole song, but you see where you would stand and you would. Actually, I think we pr- we probably did run through the song, uh, may- maybe you know a rough version. And uh, but they get an idea of all the acts and where they're going to be placed in the show and stuff like that. And then the next day you show up and you have your outfit on that you're going to be on on the show and you do the whole performance that you're going to do. They tape it. And the reason is that because then uh, that would be in other words, the first day was a Friday. The second is a Saturday that you do this. And then the show is on a Sunday. And then Sunday, you do the show live, and while you're doing the show live, they are behind the scenes concurrently running the video that they took of you the day before. So in case there's any kind of a mishap while you're doing it live, you can switch right to the tape, and the people at home would most likely, you know, see maybe a little glitch go by or something but that's it looks like it's continuous performance so they, that's a fail safe that they have built into the thing so I remember it was very elaborate that it, that it was three days to get the show going but uh, you know it came out without a, a problem and uh, it was just a great thing yeah and I mean that song that you guys covered it became so iconic i mean even to this day just a couple years ago i was watching this quentin tarantino movie once upon a time in hollywood and the whole climax of the movie is built like on a music montage of that song i mean would you have ever imagined that you know many many decades later that song would still have such power no, I never really thought about that kind of stuff, but uh, that's the way it is. When you have something recorded, it's down forever. So for somebody like uh, Quentin Tarantino wanted to use it into his movie, that was, you know, 
great. And, uh, you know, I saw the movie. It was a great part where he put us in there, the most intensive part of the movie. And it just fit in, I mean, beautifully. So, in fact, we mentioned to the management that uh, when we heard they were going to go for the um, uh, Oscars and all that kind of stuff, that uh, we were interested in being able to play it live if they wanted us to do it, if he won, you know, top honors for that. But uh, either way, it was just a, a great uh, charge to to, you know, see that, to, to hear it. It's really a kick when you hear the stuff uh, live, especially like in the movie, it was great. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys were so influential too. I mean, I mentioned Mick Mars of Motley Crue who, who cites uh, you guys as a big influence, but I mean, we're talking other major rock bands, some of your contemporaries, really, if you will, Led Zeppelin, uh, Deep Purple. I just read Ian Gillen's book, and he talks about what what fans Deep Purple were of Vanilla Fudge. And you know, before Ian was in the band, they covered uh, the song "Hush," and and they were going for a Vanilla Fudge sound when they did that. Let's let's start with Deep Purple. What what do you remember about these guys back in the day? I know you've had run-ins with them in more recent times, but did you play shows with them? Did you know them back in the 60s, early 70s? Uh, well, yeah, we did a couple of shows with them. Uh, we did something up, uh, one that I remember that stands out in my mind was uh, something that we did up in Canada. And uh, it was... Uh, a show because uh, uh, Blackmore had a red 335, the guitar that I first used on Keep Me Hanging On, on our first album. And he had one, and I was interested in buying it. I was interested if he was looking to sell it, which he wasn't. But uh, that's what he was playing at the time. And we were at a, I guess, a college or something like that, 3,000-seater uh, auditorium. Uh, and there was, you know, all the people are sitting down, uh, like on the floor, basically, watching the concert and we're playing. And what I remember about that, and it doesn't have to do with really Deep Purple, but what I remember about that is that while we were doing Take Me for a little while, uh, one of the guys from the college, muscle-bound type of a guy, got up in front of us and he's flexing his muscles. I don't know if he was stoned or what was happening. Right, right. And our road manager, <laughs> it was crazy. Our road manager's behind the amps. He sees this. He comes running out and pushes the guy. Head, the guy goes flying into the audience. And we never missed a beat. We just kept playing the tune. Wow. So that's something I always remember when we did the Deep Purple show was that and the fact of uh, looking to buy uh, Blackmore's Red 335 guitar. But, uh, yeah, you know, we talked a little bit. We said hello. We didn't really have a chance when you're doing that, those kind of shows sometimes to do too much hobnobbing in the back for some reason. It's it's like kind of uh, war a little bit. You know, like, you know, they're trying to get over on you. You're trying to get over on them. And, you know, so uh, I, I would kind of, I guess, keep a little bit of a distance, but uh, getting too, too friendly with the guys that you're going up against with, so to speak. That's just my uh, personal thing. But right. it was... It, it was a, a great uh, opportunity to be able to do shows with them. And then we hung out with them in California later on. Uh, and years later, we uh, Roger Glover was there and a couple of the guys. And then we did Radio City Music Hall with them. Right so on. It was, yeah, so we touched base here and there as we're going along. You know? And another 
band that I know you played, I think, a, a bunch of shows with. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they were opening for you guys was Led Zeppelin. And it was one of their first times out on the road. Is that is that correct? Exactly, yeah, because right before Led Zeppelin got together, Jimmy Page, you know, was in the Yardbirds. And we got uh, we did a show with them up in Seattle with the Yardbirds. And uh, it's funny, I have an incident that happened uh, going up to that show, uh, which is in my book. I have a book out uh, called Psychedelic Solo, and I, I mentioned that particular story, but I won't get into it now. But it was just something that happened on the way to that gig. But after that, after we did that gig, then later on, a short time later, Jimmy Page got uh, Zeppelin together. And they came over to the U.S. and uh, Peter Grant wanted them to break out into the U.S. of A. And our management, uh, which uh, was a very, uh, had many heavy connections, let me say, uh, decided, yeah, let's, uh, you know, give these guys uh, a chance. Uh, so uh, they did. They opened up for us. I think we were doing shows with Concerts West out on the West Coast. And we did a handful of shows, and uh, they were opening for us. And uh, that's when Jimmy Page was using his Telecaster before he got his Les Paul. And uh, we did, uh, you know, a handful of shows like that all over the Midwest, Salt Lake City, uh, Portland, uh, Seattle, I think. It was uh, quite a few. Uh, And then uh, shortly after that, uh, Jimmy Page got his Les Paul. And uh, so that's what happened, basically, they opened up for us when they came. In the meantime, we had been together so much, we needed a break. So we decided let's split for a while and take a break. And what happened is the, the management and the business people just kept on going. And they we, we got off the, the wagon to take a break, and they kept on going, and they, they just kept on moving. So then time started going by, and then things started changing, you know. So, But yes. And were you playing you know, Les Paul when they were when they were opening up for you? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know if I was playing. I, I did have like the oldest Les Paul I ever saw. I had to go buy it in Canada. We did a gig up in Canada and I bought this old one that had wooden pegs like an acoustic guitar has for the strings to go into the body. It didn't even have the the metal bridge. Uh, it had a V-neck. It had the old soap bar pickups. A beautiful, it sounded like a horn. I got it on, I used it on the Street Walking Woman and a couple other tunes we did on our I think it was the near the beginning album, uh, but I either had that or I might. I used different guitars. I had a an L five when we did the Shrine in L A for the um, uh, for the re- uh, not Renaissance, but um, near the beginning album, the break song. Uh, I had three thirty fives. I used. I used some SGs. So to be honest with you, I don't remember exactly what right. I had at that time, but. Uh, I had a lot of different guitars I used at different times. But, I, I, you know, I, I, I go ahead. I was just wondering if if Jimmy started playing Les Paul after he saw you playing a Les Paul. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. Well, I, I heard that he said that uh, he, he didn't feel that the, the telly was the right sound for Zeppelin. So, I don't know, maybe somewhere, maybe, uh, you know, I influenced him a little bit. I, right. <laughs> that would be cool to know that. I don't know that. But I, I uh, wanted to mention also that when... They first came to to the U.S. Uh, Zeppelin. Uh, Robert Plant used to bring a, a Victrola and a suitcase of records he brought over with him from England. And me and Mark Stein went up to 
his apartment in the hotel, in the hotel room where he was wanted to show us all the records that he had, the blues records. So we were talking to him up there and we, we were telling him, yeah, you should move more on the stage and, you know, get into more of a, uh, an act that way where it's like a whole show watching, you know, not, not, not that we uh, kicked off the guy's career. I mean, the guy's a right. tremendous, uh, talented guy, but, you know, I remember that uh, that particular thing too, so I wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, well, he was very green at that time. I mean, he was, I think I want to say like five years younger than Jimmy Page and hadn't had the experience. So he probably took took your advice and, and uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, that definitely played into it, in my opinion. Well, uh, you know, he did say uh, on some place on his website, it's something that uh, Zeppelin, that Vanilla Fudge was everything that they wanted to be. I mean, I was like, holy jeez, how do you like that? when they first started and they came over here when they saw us. So, you know, we went over to England before that and we played and uh, I met Jeff Beck and uh, what's his name, Brian Jones from the Stones, uh, Rod Stewart. They all came down to the this club we played. I I, I don't know if it was called the Speakeasy or, or I, I believe it was. And it was just a load of English acts there to see us. And then we, right. we, we did something with The Who, which might have been the second time we went over there and we played a little louder than them and they didn't like that <laughs> right a, right a great write-up in the paper so you know it's been it's been a really interesting uh, career the who were very competitive there's a story about them playing monterey pop with Jimi hendrix and them fighting over volume and who was smashing the guitars and and uh, not really vibing that well with hendrix and speaking of hendrix uh, I mean, you knew Jimmy, right? How well did you know Jimmy? I know my a little bit uh, well, not uh, too well, but the, the, you know, we did a lot of gigs with, with uh, Jimmy, the, the great Jimmy Hendrix. We did thirteen dates in a row, uh, all over the place. Basically, again for concerts, West and the Midwest, Red Rocks, Colorado, San Diego, uh, uh, Anaheim, um, Hollywood Bowl. I mean, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of gigs we did when we flew on the same plane. We talked to him. We were up in the hotel room when he first came out with possibly the second album or the third one. We went up to our management. Uh, a guy was with us and uh, me and I don't know who else from the Fudge, probably Mark Stein and a couple of us went up to listen to it. He asked us our opinion of it. It was tremendous. Uh, real, real head trip. Uh, I got to know him uh, also because uh, he used to jam at the, steam, at the, at the scene Steve Paul scene on uh, West 46th Street, Manhattan, New York, uh, off, at the, off of 8th Avenue. And um, he would jam there, I guess, when he was off time. And we would place that musicians would hang out. So uh, one night we're down there and everybody's jamming. Uh, everybody wants to jam with Jimmy. And I didn't really, you know, push myself along. Yeah, let me jam with him because, you know, but when the when a rock star like that wants to take a break, let him have, let him enjoy himself. He wants to jam, he'll jam whoever he wants. But everybody wanted to jam with him anyway. And Eddie Kramer was there, and Eddie Kramer said, uh, "Listen, uh, when the place closed, now it's four o'clock in the morning. Now this had been going on from probably eleven o'clock at night or something, or twelve or one, whatever it is, uh, in the morning." And so Eddie Kramer's there, and Eddie Kramer said, "Look, uh, let's." Uh, Let's go down to the record plant. I have the keys. We'll run the machines. So wow. we all went down here. A whole bunch of us. I think Carmen was there. Buddy Miles was there. 
a Jack Cassidy might have been in the, you know, because who's smoking what, who's drinking what, you know. Yeah. Who remembers? Crazy times. Really. And we walk down to 44th Street to the record plant, and we go in, and uh, I guess Eddie put on the machines, and we start jamming, and, and Jimmy, you know, lets me start the jam. He looks at me, and he says, you know, he's giving me the, the, the nod to get So I started some kind of a slow blues thing. And uh, I got into, it and that's it. I did, I did some playing, and then, then he got into it. He started playing, and you know, it was uh, fans, uh, groupies, I guess. I oh mean, everybody, God. you know, uh, it was real. It was like a party going on until like daylight. Vinny, where, where is uh, this tape? This was recorded. Yeah, I guess I, Eddie Kramer recorded it. At least he was going to run the tapes. And, uh, you know, Jimmy gave me the eye sign to start. So I assumed the thing was gone. But, you know, I was probably too, uh, I don't know, what, what, maybe smoking too much, drinking too much, whatever. I didn't even ask for a copy. I don't know. I never heard the thing that in, unless I did hear that there is a CD out, an album that, that they put out of Jimmy that said, I woke up and found myself dead. Did you ever hear that title? I, I didn't, but uh, that, that yeah, doesn't, well, yeah. That's a crazy one, yeah. And they were saying they didn't know who the guitar player was on that. So I'm trying to run that down and see if maybe that's me. I I, I should be able to tell if it was me on the beginning of that. So, wow. But I didn't ask for a copy at the time, and I, I think there, there's so much going on to also think in those terms, let me get a copy. You know, it's just like we're in a, a world. When I got that stuff... The story of that in my book too. That's you know. That's yeah, what's your book? Yeah, I, I gotta get. I I don't have your book. I gotta pick up a copy for sure. Can you tell us the oh. name of your book? Yeah, it's called Psychedelic Solo, and uh, that's it. It's basically my whole life story. Is basically what it is. Growing up in the Bronx in New York, and going to Catholic school for a while, and then getting going into the Navy, and then uh, playing music down in Florida if I got out of the Navy, and then coming up and getting into, I was in a band uh, called Alan Valone and the Spirit in New York City for a little while, and one of the guys in the band was Freddie Lipsius, who was the alto sax player from Blood, Sweat, and Tears when they oh, started. Oh, wow. Okay. And I believe, yeah, I think he's a uh, professor up at uh, up in Boston at the uh, music school up there, Berkeley. Berkeley, yeah, sure. Sure, so, very uh, cool. but uh, but then shortly after that, I got a a, um, a call. I had been going down to the Union Hall in New York City, and uh, I got a call from a fellow named Joey Brennan, who was the drummer with Mark Stein and Timmy Bogart. And uh, and uh, next thing, I get a call from Joey, and we get together over at uh, Timmy's house, and that's how I got you know together with the guys, and then. Originally called the that, Pigeons, so, right? The Pigeons, and then uh, then you changed the name to Vanilla Fudge? Is that what happened? Yes, yeah. We At first we were the Pigeons, and then uh, the record company didn't really like the name. So yeah, they, <laughs> well, I like Vanilla Fudge they, better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, You know what it is? It's funny because we... Yeah, I got all this in the book. Uh, we didn't uh, really care for the name The Pigeons either, but that was given to us by... Uh, a guy in a business named Jeff Barry who was a big mogul with Mercury Records and that kind of stuff. And, you know, when you're trying to come up, you don't really want to say no when somebody suggests they want to do something and they're, they're going to get behind it for you, you know, so you end up a lot of times you go along with, even if you don't think it's the, the coolest name. But, you know, it was, it was a lot of 
animal names were happening at the time, the the beetles, the birds, the you know that kind of stuff. Sure. I guess they figured, let's give that a shot. But uh, but my book my book is available. It's um, special order at this particular point. It's on my website, vincemartel dot com. Cool information. Yeah, and it's uh, like I say, the whole life story of rocking. Right. Well, wow. I, I, I definitely got to pick up a copy of that. And we want to remind the listeners that the truly historic track, Stop in the Name of Love, because it's the last time that we will hear you four guys together on, on a song and, again, kind of brings things really full circle, if you will. But, you know, Tim hadn't really been active with Vanilla Fudge for a while and he came back to do this song with you but the band has been active and you guys are out there still playing gigs can you talk about the current lineup of the band uh, well it's uh, Mark Stein still keyboard original uh, great keyboardist vocalist uh, Carmine a piece who it speaks for himself his drumming you know amazing yeah player. Uh, we have a fellow named Pete Bremy, who used to be in the Vince Martell band playing bass. He got to know Timmy. He got to know the, the group. And then when Timmy decided to retire, uh, Pete was ready to, to walk into it because he had already been a road manager for us and a tour manager for us. And he knew Timmy and everybody was comfortable with him. He knew all the tunes. He knew all the, all the Vanilla Fudge tunes, real... He was a real heavy-duty fan originally when he was first saw us playing in Jersey. And so it was like he walked in. We needed somebody like, uh, I, I think Timmy might have gotten sick on one gig. He couldn't make We need. We had like a couple of days to get somebody. Pete was ready to walk in. So it, en it ends up now Pete's been with us over 10 years. Right on. And he could, uh, he's emulated uh, Timmy's important parts that he's he's done, like in the, again that song "Take Me for a Little While." There's a little bass interlude there. He's he's got that down. He's got Timmy's vocal. He could hit the high notes Timmy used to hit. So it it really was like a natural to to have him in there. And then uh, you know me, I'm still you know rocking out on guitar. Right on. And, and I mean th to have three fourths of the classic original lineup is really. Uh, rare nowadays. I mean, we see bands out there, they have like one member, sometimes sometimes zero members. I won't mention any any names, but there's some bands you're out right, there, right, right. you know, uh, just keeping the brand alive at this point. But yeah, so yes. Vanilla Fudge still operating with uh, three of the four original members in intact. And yeah, so there were some gigs planned. Are gigs happening? What's going on with live shows right now, Vinny? Well, we had... Uh uh, we had nine shows uh, scheduled. In fact, we had uh, a couple that were scheduled uh, this past weekend up in Chicago that got blown out. But, they, you know, this COVID thing, which blew everything out for like a year, and over a year and a half, uh, all the gigs had been canceled. But anyway, we had nine. But those two in Chicago, I guess the promoters got cold feet or something. I don't know. They canceled them out last minute. But we have seven, and we're going to be doing uh, the Keswick in uh, Philly, Keswick Theater and Virginia. We're doing a couple of gigs in New York City, the Sony Center, which might have been something else before it was the Sony Center. Maybe it was just taken over uh, by Sony. I don't know, but we got something in Long Island, New York, at the um, Suffolk County Theater. Cool. Suffolk Theater. And these are yeah, coming so up soon? 
yeah, this is all going to be actually starting at the end of October. Okay, great. Great, cool. I'm going to try to make yeah. one of those shows, and I'd love to say hi to you in person if it's possible. Of course, Mark. Yeah, come up and, and say hello. Tell them who you are when you get there and that uh, you know the guys in the band and you want to say hello. We know you, you know, that kind of stuff. Perfect. Excellent. Cool. Well, it's been a true honor talking with you, and uh, yeah, we got to get Vanilla Fudge in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's just absolutely ridiculous that uh, a band that influenced Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, and and so forth is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but that's a whole whole nother whole nother topic, I guess, and discussion yeah, yeah, point. That, that's 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 a lot of politics in rock and roll, like everything else, man. It's all, it's all politics and stuff like that. So yeah, you're right. I agree with you, though. I hope we can get in there one of these days pretty soon. Would be nice. All right. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, sir. And uh, I'm serious. We'll definitely uh, try to come say hi when we're at a show. Oh, that's great, man. Uh, do it, and I appreciate this very much. Okay, will do. Perfect. You have a good night, okay, sir. Mark. Vinny, thank you so much for joining me on Talking Metal. Thank you to you guys for listening. And I'm thinking of leaving the every Tuesday schedule. I'm just kind of playing around with that. Maybe just leaving Tuesday and just kind of throwing episodes up whenever I want. Um, a lot of good interviews coming up. I don't want to, we haven't recorded any of them, so I don't want to jinx them by announcing them, but some cool people who we haven't had on the show yet, who I am looking forward to. Actually, the next three interviews, which are all booked for this week, I don't know how I'm going to manage all this with my actual real job, uh, but they are all new to the podcast, and one of them I've been a big fan of for a long time. I might let Emily do some of these interviews. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Actually, I'm trying, I'm thinking right now, I think we actually have four interviews coming up. Anyways, lots of stuff coming. Uh, I know we went a little while without any interviews, and we had the Zach interview and the Doc McGee interview, and then there was an episode or two without any interviews. So anyways, interviews are coming back. I know you guys like those, I can tell. You know, the listenership goes up when we do have interviews. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you uh, liking the conversation I have with these these rockers. All right, so let's uh, stay true, guys, stay safe. And uh, check out Talking Rock. We just posted a new episode of that, Joey Haney and I. And if you want even more Mark Striegel, you can get the bonus podcast on Patreon every week, every Monday. All right? That's two bucks a month, man. Killer. Two bucks a month. All right, later.